This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. Welcome to The Tonic, your prescription for a healthier and happier life. Here's your host and publisher of Tonic Magazine, Jamie Busson. Hi, I'm Jamie Busson. I'm a former commercial litigator who used to weigh 242 pounds. When I was 38 years old, I lost over 50 pounds through a regimen of exercise and better nutrition. It took me a year to reach my goal, but I thought if a type A personality like me could do it, really anybody can. I'm still asking questions and learning about what it means to live a healthy lifestyle. Please join me on this continuing journey. Today, we'll discuss your stress, sleep, and your energy with supplement formulator, Dr. Gordon Chang. We'll find out about the processing of your food with registered dietitian Shauna Lindzen. We'll discover the top heat wave safety tips with medical preparedness expert Dr. Joseph Alton. And lastly, we'll learn five reasons why it's important to waste time with author Emil Rem. Before we get to that, here's your tonic quick shot. Researchers have long known that moderate exercise has a beneficial impact on the body's response to inflammation. But what's been less understood is why. New research coming out of York University done on a mouse model suggests that the answers may lie at the production level of microphages, white blood cells responsible for killing off infections, healing injury, and otherwise acting as first responders in the body. Much like if you train your muscles through exercise, we showed that exercise of moderate intensity ended up training the precursors of those microphages in the bone marrow, says Faculty of Health Associate Professor and York Research Chair Ali Abdul-Sattar. The way that exercise is doing this is by changing the way that the cells breathe, essentially how they use oxygen to generate energy, and then changing the way they access their DNA. Scientists at Stanford Medicine conducted a study describing a new category of depression labeled the cognitive biotype, which accounts for 27% of depressed patients and is not effectively treated by commonly prescribed antidepressants. Cognitive tasks show that these patients have difficulty with the ability to plan ahead, display self-control, sustain focus despite having distractions, and suppress inappropriate behavior. Imaging showed decreased activity in two brain regions responsible for those tasks. Because depression has traditionally been defined as a mood disorder, doctors commonly prescribed antidepressants that target serotonin, but these are less effective for patients with cognitive dysfunction. Researchers said that targeting these cognitive dysfunctions with less commonly used antidepressants or other treatments may alleviate symptoms and help restore social and occupational abilities. On the show that aired on June 24th, 25th, I had a guest, Greg Lindberg, who spoke about fasting for anti-aging. Greg is not a doctor and does not have a degree in health and wellness. From my perspective, one doesn't need a degree to be a guest on the show and discuss his own experience, which he did candidly. However, I was skeptical regarding his claims that extended fasting is a route to anti-aging. In general, I don't support any extreme diets or regimens, as I think they're not sustainable. That being said, I have seen intermittent fasting work for people to lose weight. I encourage anybody listening to the show to do their own research and satisfy themselves as to the efficacies and certainly get the advice of their primary health practitioner before undertaking any diet or procedure. But I didn't fully express my skepticism during that interview. My apologies. I'll be joined by Dr. Gordon Chang in a moment, but first, a little bit of business. I'd like to give a shout out to our new sponsor, Omega Alpha. 
This company is 100% Canadian owned. Their team consists of allopathic and naturopathic doctors, nutritionists, researchers, and other scientific professionals, all led by their CEO, Dr. Gordon Chang. Formulations are created on their 40,000 square foot facility located in Toronto. Omega Alpha uses only the highest quality ingredients to manufacture the most efficacious yet price-friendly nutraceuticals. For more information about Omega Alpha, visit OmegaAlphaInc.com. Omega Alpha's products are created by their scientific team, headed by their owner, operator, and CEO, Dr. Gordon Chang. Dr. Chang holds a PhD in physiology and biomedical engineering from the University of Toronto. He also has two years postdoctoral experience in clinical biochemistry, looking at free radicals and antioxidants. He's published over 20 peer-reviewed articles and conference proceedings, and he's a regular guest on the show. Welcome back, Gordon. How are you doing? Great, Jamie. Thanks for having me on again. So, you know, from time to time, and it isn't all the time, I have sleep issues, and I think I'm not alone. And I'm wondering if maybe we could start the show today by going over some of the potential remedies that might help us get a good night's sleep. What do you think about that? For sure. Now, before we even go down that road, one of the things I, I need to point out, and uh, people just look at sleep as, a, as one, one cause, quick solution. Right, and we know there's so many different reasons why people can't sleep well at night. Yep. Right? Yep. Um, it could be stress in the job, it could be st- stress from the family, or even certain medications that you're on. This disturb your sleep patterns. It could even be that you haven't exercised in a few weeks. It could that be too. could be that you had too much to drink, or you were yep. partaking in recreational drugs. You never know, right? Yeah. So when we start off by saying, "Oh." what can we use to, to fix that sleep patterns? I said, well, you know, there's so many different reasons why you can, why you don't sleep. And we have certain things that can help you, but they work under different conditions, right? One of the things is like if you travel, like let's say you go from Toronto to England, that five, six hour time difference is, is killer on you because the jet lag is horrendous. It takes me to, to, to readjust. Like, at, like if I go to Europe, when I get back, uh, it usually takes me a day for every hour of time change to get my rhythms back. Uh, you know the sad part about that is? You're probably in, in, in England for probably about a week. You'd have um, adjusted to England's time. Yeah. And you're back home. Exactly. Well, let's go on and talk about some of these things. I, I usually like to start off by telling everybody, go exercise. That's the fastest fix, the easiest fix. But for some people, they can't exercise. For example, uh, older, older folks uh, who have mobility issues. Right, mm-hmm. can't go for a long walk. But for people with mobility issues, my my advice to them is: you have some mobility issues, but yes, you may not be able to walk a block in in five five minutes or, or so. Start walking. You know, today you can do half a block. Tomorrow you might be able to do three quarters of a block. But you've got to start doing that. That is a it's a path of, of doing these things, right? So exercise is good. And uh, if you exercise, you're tired, you, you tend to sleep better, right? It's yes. also good for things like um, stress and so on because the exercise, you know, the, 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 you get release of, of chemicals, you get a natural detoxification effect that helps get rid of a lot of different toxins that are built up in the body. Okay? Agreed. Now, the other things that people can do, I mean, things like if you have, stress issues in your life. I always say to everybody, if you're breathing, you have stress, yep. right? 
So what can we do about the stress? You, you, you must have friends you know who is like water off a duck's back. No matter what happens in their life, no problem, they're good to go. Then you have the other ones who you look at them funny and they're all stressed out. Yep. Right? And, and the sky is falling with them all the time. So sometimes you, you look at the mental focus of some of these things. You, you, there are people, if they, they may have to adjust their, their mental outlook on, on some of these things. Now, that's easier said than done, right? So, but again, that's something that people work on. Those, those are lifestyle changes, I call it. Yep. And then there, there's the, um, what I call this, I call them the, even the, the, the different types of sleep, right? Some people say, I can't sleep. But there are some people I know, they, they fall asleep, they just can't sleep long. They'll fall asleep, two hours later, they wake up, bright-eyed and bushy-tailed, and they can't go back to sleep. Right? And so the result of that next day, they're tired. Can I, can, I, can I add a few? Sure. So sleep hygiene, like very quickly, the temperature of your room, the darkness of your room, and turning off devices are three things. Like if you stop looking at your phone and stop watching TV about a half hour in advance, that's going to make a difference. You, you get a nice, cool, dark place to sleep. That's going to help you too. Yeah. One of the things I tell people to do, take a shower. Right now, that, that's a double-edged sword. Some people, they take a shower and they're bright-eyed, bushy-tailed. Some people take a shower, they can fall asleep better. Yeah. Right? So it's, it depends on the person, a lot of it. So sometimes sometimes when we make, say, do this or do that, and then somebody does it, and they say, but it didn't work for me. Everybody's slightly different. Yeah. Unfortunately. Well, let, let's move into your wheelhouse. Are there any herbal remedies that you could recommend that might be helpful for people? Well, yes, there's, there's lots of different herbal remedies, right? But a lot of these remedies, they work differently, meaning that um, some of them may make you drowsy and help you sleep. A valerian is one of those, right? It's well known to make you drowsy and help you sleep. But if, if your problem is not falling asleep, but your problem is staying asleep, right, valerian probably is not going to do that much for you. Right. Mm-hmm. There are some people who they can't fall asleep because their mind is racing a mile a minute. So if you take something that will calm you down and stop your mind racing a mile a minute, that in itself may help you sleep. So there are things like kava kava that will help do some of that. Okay. Uh, St. John's wort is also known to help with that. Okay. And then, um, you know, then there's ones that will help you sleep longer. So there's a Chinese herb called jujube that will help you sleep longer, right? Um, get you a, long, a longer bit of sleep, right? Um, so one of the things I suggest to people is that take a product that has a combination of a whole bunch of different herbal, herbal um, components in there to try and cover all your bases. Makes sense. What, what, what about other nutraceuticals other than herbals? Is there anything out there that might help? Are there any vitamins or yeah, minerals? Uh, there are things like L, L-tryptophan, right? Mm-hmm. L-tryptophan is one of these um, amino acids that people take to help them fall asleep. Um, they call that, it's, uh, what? I think they call that the turkey effect, the Thanksgiving turkey effect, because yeah. turkey has a lot of L-tryptophan as an, as an amino acid. So a lot of people, after they eat your Thanksgiving um, dinner or so, they, they load it up with tryptophan so they feel sleepy, right? So L-tryptophan is definitely one of those, right? Mm-hmm. The people can also use things like magnesium, right? Um, it seems to help people fall asleep and stay asleep. But again, it's not. Uh, I don't want to make it sound as if these are the magic bullets. You just take a little bit of this and you 
off to the races. It does, it's not. I wish it was as simple as that, but in my in my experience, it's never as simple as that. Well, how how does magnesium help? Because it's a calming agent, right? Yeah. Well, it, it's it works in conjunction with a whole bunch of different um, biochemical mechanisms that's going on in the body to help. And again, you know, if some people are magnesium deficient, this is one thing that helps them. Uh, it, it, basically supplies the body with a whole bunch of more magnesium, which can then be used by the body to do a whole bunch of different things, right? Mm-hmm. And one of the different things is to help calm you down, right? Um, it's not necess- I'm not necessarily going to tell you if you load up on magnesium, you're going to start feeling sleepy and dopey, right? Because a whole other bunch of other practices still has to happen. Right. Because if you take magnesium, say, at 12 o'clock in the afternoon, and you're normally bright-eyed and bushy-tailed at 12 o'clock in the afternoon, and you load up on magnesium at 12 o'clock in the afternoon, I think you're going to fall asleep. All you might end up <laughs> doing is have, getting diarrhea, because if you, overtake, if you take too much magnesium, it does make you go to the bathroom. Yeah, which is right. an impediment to getting a good night's sleep if you have to wake up to go to the bathroom. That, that's right, right? So, you know, um, uh, you know all the other factors ha- have to be in place at right. the same time. Are there any other minerals other than magnesium that might help you relax if, if that's your issue? To, well, it, magnesium is the one that everybody normally talks about, right? But yeah. one, one of the things I, I like to, to also say, um, if you're active during the day, right, if you have a lot of energy during the day, you can get a better night's sleep too. Right. Right? And, and one of the reasons, that, because if you wake up drowsy, and you're tired because you didn't get a good night's sleep. Well, you, you lack energy. If you lack energy, you're not exercising, you're not doing anything active to keep you going during the day, right? You're just dragging you behind all over the place, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. So come evening time, you, even though you're tired, you can't fall asleep. So one of the things is, as I said, you might need to take some, some things to help increase your energy levels during the day. So one of the things that people will do is the B vitamins. Right, mm-hmm. because B vitamins are anti-stress, right? And, and I use the word stress, and I put that in inverted commas. Okay, mm-hmm. uh, it's a, it's a big stress, but B vitamins do help. So, and, and sometimes I, when I when I'm chatting about this, sometimes in the office, right, and, and I talk about other herbs like ginseng, etc., to, to help you sleep at night and so on, right. Sometimes the, the, the powers that be in the office say to me, you're sucking and blowing at the same time. Right, yeah. <laughs> when I say ginseng helps, because one of the things that ginseng will do, if it gives you energy during the day, you, have, you, you can do a lot of your things. You can do, get some exercise, etc. in. And at night, you're tired. And if you're tired, you will fall asleep. Right. Right. So and many of the adaptogens out there do help with, with that fighting the effects of stress. And I think a lot of times people can't sleep because they're under a lot of stress. So it's not a bad thing to have different things to fight the effects of stress. Makes a lot of sense. So, you know, so again, to fight the effects of stress, you, you can take the things like there's ashwagandha root, there's Siberian ginseng, otherwise known as lithococcus, there's, um, there's North American ginseng, right? There's a whole bunch of different herbs that will have, astragalus will help, right? Mm-hmm. And, and again, if you're looking, my my suggestion is people try to find a product that that has all of these things incorporated together in it. Yep, makes a lot of sense. I'm I'm going to add my two cents worth. I, I don't have any expertise other than what I've learned from you over the years with respect to the 
the herbal remedies and, and the nutraceuticals. But my personal experience is routine is very important for sleep. Right. It's almost like when you put your kids to bed, you know, you have the bedtime stories and you and, you know, like getting settled in your sleep space is becomes an important component. I think when you allow other elements of your life to creep into your sleep space, like if you have a television in your room or if you're on your computer or your phone, that impacts your ability to sleep. Um, Going to sleep at different times of night can can mess up your your rhythms so that if you're going to bed very late on the weekend and not so late during the week, that's going to mess you up. Yeah. Um, you know, if you if you do most of your drinking or recreational drug use on the weekends, that's going to, by the end of the weekend, you may be feeling differently about your sleep. Or, yeah. or even if you exercise too late in the evening, that may actually hurt your ability to get to sleep because your body's... That, that, all, all you've said is true. I, it's what I'm trying, I guess my take-home message is that sleep is a process. Yep. Right, and there are aids that will help you get to sleep, stay asleep longer, etc. Right, but again, there's a lot of other factors that have to be in play at the same time. Meaning that if if you uh, if your sleep is messed up because of recreational drug use, for example, yep. you know what I mean. I, I mean, I I can give you kava kava, or I can give you um, valerian, or I can give you nocturna which is a combination of all these different herbs together to help you sleep. I can, I can pour it right into your veins, but <laughs> it's probably not going to help you much because all the other things are keeping you awake. Exactly. You know, like if you're playing um, um, computer games late at night, you know, these things will help keep, keep you up. When I, when I was uh, heavier, Gordon, I would do this thing. I, I would be stressed out about a million different things, and I didn't want to go to sleep because I would be having nightmares. So I would purposely stay up, but the only way I could stay up is if I ate, because if I was eating late at night, for whatever reason, I I, I would stay up. So I created this vicious cycle where I was getting heavier and heavier and creating more stress for myself and staying up later because I was feeling terrible about the way I looked and felt. So I think breaking some of the the bad habits that people have will also help, sort of, because it's all interconnected, right? Which is, I, th- I think, sure. your point. And I, I guess what I'm going to leave with my take-home message is also, you know, please, I mean, if if you need something, just help you a little bit over the edge to help, you know, like your, your herbal extracts, your 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 um, your valerian, your your um, tryptophans, etc. By all means, use some of that. But make sure you make lifestyle changes. Fantastic. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. Well, it's great being on board again. That was Dr. Gordon Chang. We have to take a short break. But when we return, we'll discuss the processing of your food on The Tonic. Tired of lineups at your pharmacist? Why not try PharmaZ at the Zoomer store? Powered by the Health Depot, an Ontario-accredited pharmacy, PharmaZ offers a concierge approach to filling, refilling, and managing your prescriptions with free delivery anywhere in Ontario. To get started, visit zoomerstore.com and click on PharmaZ. And then click on the Circle of Care Pharmacy Program for your free initial consultation with a clinical pharmacist. Don't wait. Go today. Welcome back to The Tonic. Your prescription for a healthier and happier life. Here's your host and publisher of Tonic Magazine, Jamie Busson. 
Shauna Lindzen is a dietitian and nutritionist. She is a program developer and nutrition leader at Wellspring Cancer Support Network and enjoys seeing clients virtually and doing corporate wellness lectures. She runs practical cooking demonstrations that combine scientific knowledge with culinary education. Her demonstrations are unique, informative, delicious, and a lot of fun. You can find a list of her nutrition classes and recipes at shaunalindzen.com. Welcome back to the show, my friend. How are you doing? I'm great, Jamie. How are you? Good. There's been a lot of talk about the dangers of ultra-processed foods. We, I've talked about it with others on the show, about how it impacts all sorts of different aspects of your health and your gut biome. But I want to approach it from a different perspective so that people can understand what ultra-processed food actually means as opposed to processed food, which may or may not be bad for you. Are you up for that? Yes, absolutely. So from your perspective, what is all the hype about whole food versus ultra-processed foods? So this is not a brand new concept, no. but there's something called the NOVA classification of foods, and it's a universal concept. And what this shows you is if a food is whole versus processed versus ultra-processed, so it's almost like categorizing foods and making people more cognizant of the foods they're eating. Before we get to the classifications, can you explain on a, on a practical level, like the difference between a whole food, a processed Absolutely. food and an ultra processed food? It's my favorite thing to do. So here we go. So with a whole food, I'm going to give you an example. So an apple is a whole food. It looks like an apple. People can recognize it as an apple. Once you lightly process it, which they call minimally processing it, you can turn it into applesauce, which means you've taken the peel off, but you're still getting the nutrition from the actual flesh of the apple. Then an ultra-processed food, you're taking it one step further, and you're making it into something like apple jacks, like a cereal. It's not recognizable as an apple. My other example that really drives home the point is fish. So tuna, for instance, when a fisherman catches a big, large tuna, you can recognize it. It's a fish. It looks like a fish. Lightly processed or minimally processed is a can of tuna, which means it's still tuna, but there's something like salt, water, oil added into it to to, um, keep it at a good shelf life. Lastly, a fish stick would mean you take fish, you process it up, you put a bunch of seasonings and preservatives and breadcrumbs. That's ultra processed. Why should we care about this? Like, does it make a difference? Absolutely. So, for instance, the whole foods are more nutritious to start. And um, once you lightly process something, you're adding something like salt or sugars or extra fats. And it's, it's reducing the nutritional value of the food. And um, unfortunately, the ultra-processed foods, scientifically, they, they research it. People or populations who eat too much ultra-processed food have a risk of weight gain, high blood pressure, certain cancers, diabetes, heart disease, everything that, you know, we're, we're trying to stay away from. It's also addictive. It uh, is. It's addictive. And um, those tastes, like the salt, the sweet, we get, we get used to it and our memories, right? Like if you think about um, something like a Pop-Tart from childhood, that's an ultra-processed food, and we will start to crave those foods. And it's also a matter of convenience, too, right? Like, like mm-hmm. 
The reason that you have tuna fish in cans is because it's stabilized and you can put it in your pantry and you have a protein that you can use at a later date as opposed to going to the fish store and, you know, the shelf life of a fish, you probably want to use it within 24 hours of, of getting it from, from that store, whereas the can of tuna can, can be in your pantry for, for weeks or months. Exactly. And as a population, we look for, universally, we look for convenience. And unfortunately, I think we've taken it one step too far, because now what we're trying to do is we're trying to kind of turn back um, the clock, and we're trying to go more towards what our ancestors ate, like the whole foods, instead of um, the commercially ultra-processed foods. Now, it's not to say that we shouldn't be only eating whole foods. It's okay to eat um, processed foods or minimally processed foods. You don't want. You just don't want to make it your main source of food. The the processed or the ultra processed. You want to stick more towards the whole foods. As as food conscious as I am. I still have ultra-processed foods in my house, right? And you should. It's okay to. You just don't want to make them your main um, source of food. Right. So, for instance, if you do almost, you know, let's say 50% whole food and then 25% processed and 25% ultra-processed, that's a good kind of measure to look at. Nobody is going to completely go whole foods based, you know, maybe like five or one percent of the population would do that. It's okay to eat all types of food and all types of food fits into a healthy model. You just want to focus more on whole foods for economic reasons, for health reasons, um, etc. Well, I, I think it's a time trade off, right? Like if you want to have crackers. Mm-hmm. I mean, Naomi has made crackers before. The cost-benefit analysis of making your own crackers <laughs> is, you know, I'm pretty sure you're better off buying crackers. And yeah. as much as I love fresh pasta and the process of making fresh pasta, it's way more time efficient to buy the dried pasta, which is certainly a processed food, right? Like, it just is. Exactly. So, But I would never, for example, buy a frozen lasagna because that's mm-hmm. an ultra... Like, I, I'm thinking about this. If I looked at my cart, I would say... Uh, we're probably 55 to 60% whole food, um, only 5% ultra processed and the rest is processed out of necessity. Yeah. And that's commendable. And it's because you really enjoy good food and the whole food gives you that flavor, right? It gives you the base and the starting point to, to eat delicious food and make delicious food for your family. Well, the key is making though, right? Because yes. I have invested time into not only the shopping process, but you know, if I time it from beginning to start, a lot of the stuff we make requires about a half an hour to 45 minutes of prep time for a dinner, right? Probably means you're eating leftovers. And, you know, maybe if it's taking you a half an hour to make a chili or a soup, you know, like the chopping maybe takes you a half an hour, mm-hmm. but then the cooking process takes much more and you have to be around for that. So I'm fortunate that I can do that, but I appreciate that most people cannot. The interesting thing, and I always like to give this example of um, boxed macaroni and cheese versus homemade macaroni and cheese. Yeah. It takes the same time to boil the pot of water to make the pasta yeah. for that ultra-processed product versus a minimally processed product, which would be um, pasta and you know a homemade cheese sauce. If you time it, 
it takes pretty well almost the same time. Only, and, only if you're super efficient. Like, you know, if I know the proportions to make a bechamel and then fold in the cheese. I can do that without looking at, at, a, at a recipe, right? I would say yeah. 95% of the population cannot do that. And it would take them much longer to make mac and cheese from scratch, right? Yeah, but he, exactly. And, you know, when you factor in the washing all the pots and this and that and, you know, Making your own mac and cheese is still 45 minutes. I'm, uh, that, and it's also, you, I guess, in that regard, you have to think of the trade-off. Yeah, exactly. Right? Yeah. yeah. It isn't even a money proposition. I actually believe it's a time proposition, uh, to my mind. That, that seems to be the sticking point. Yeah, it's a bit of both. And also, if you think about growing your own herbs, that's yeah. probably half the price of you know continuously buying herbs. So the investment is in the beginning if you're doing it from a seed or if you're purchasing it, you know, and planting it. So with that, herbs are a whole food, right? Yep. And then um, I'm, I'm just thinking this through now as we speak, um, a, a dried herb is minim- minimally processed. Right. So it's, it's kind of interesting that you can really, um, you can take any food and kind of dissect if it's... Um, if it's whole, minimally processed or ultra processed, bread is another example. Yep. I know when I when I give my um, nutrition lectures, people love to talk about you know what's whole, what's minimally processed, what's ultra processed. So bread, if we talk about starting off from the beginning, the whole seed, like the wheat kernel, is whole, and then process would be a artisanal bread, like, you know, like Ace Bakery or something like that, like an artisanal bread, because it only has two or three ingredients. But ultra process would be the bread that sits on the grocery shelf for weeks. And the reason why that can happen is there's food additives, there's preservatives, there's different things added to it. It probably can last for a month or two on the shelf because uh, of that. From a value proposition, though, very few people are milling their own flour to make their own bread. But I can tell you, my wife actually spends a great deal of time with her sourdough starters and everything. It's mm-hmm. incredibly time consuming. But I haven't had store-bought bread, and I think, in ages. And, wow. And, yeah. and, and so, but if you're going to get the high-end bread versus the stabilized bread, it, it's just money, right? Because once you're buying bread, bread is bread in terms of how you're going to consume it, right? So mm-hmm. for the minimally pro- processed breads, you're just, you're just paying for not having the chemicals in it. Exactly. And we don't know in the long run what those chemicals are going to do to us. And other things, another great example, and people don't think of this example, so I do want to bring it up, are protein powders. Yep. So they're ultra-processed, and typically people in the nutrition and exercise you know, space do use some of those protein powders. And they're, they're literally white powder that's been processed and processed, and like it's really ultra-processed, with sometimes they've got like gums in them and that type of thing, which could increase, um, you know, symptoms of irritable bowel disease and that type of thing. So once you take a step back and have your whole foods, they, it will really help your health and your well-being. Fantastic. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thank you for having me, Jamie. That was Shauna Lindzen. We have to take a short break, but we'll be right back on The Tonic. Do you use vitamins, supplements, or other natural health products like natural toothpaste and deodorant as part of your daily health and wellness routine? If yes... 
What I'm about to tell you needs your immediate attention. Health Canada is proposing new regulations that will have a devastating impact on the natural health product industry. If the changes Health Canada is proposing goes through, many of the brands you use will see dramatic price increases or stop existing in Canada altogether. Stop Health Canada from taking away our natural health products and help to keep these products on shelves by writing a letter to your MP through saveoursupplements.ca. It takes less than a minute. Welcome back to The Tonic, your prescription for a healthier and happier life. Here's your host and publisher of Tonic Magazine, Jamie Busson. Dr. Joseph Alton practiced as a board-certified obstetrician and pelvic surgeon for more than 25 years before retiring to devote his efforts to preparing your family medically for any scenario. He's been a fellow of the American College of Obstetrics and Gynecology and the American College of Surgeons for many years, served as department chairman at local hospitals and as an adjunct professor at local university nursing schools. He's a popular speaker at survival and preparedness conferences on the subject of medical preparedness. Uh, Welcome to the show, doctor. How are you? Doing great, Jamie. Thanks for having me. So I know you're down in the U.S., but up here in Canada... We still have very hot summers and, you know, with global warming, it's been getting hotter and hotter. And I thought I'd bring you on the show to talk about how you cope with that because uh, it can be really detrimental to your health. Does that sound like a plan? Oh, yeah. It's, it's going to be a cruel, cruel summer. And we definitely can expect a series of heat waves down here, at least, that'll continue until uh, probably late fall. I mean, we have high temperatures that challenge the power grid pretty much every year, but this year is actually a little worse because of some of the Canadian wildfires that are uh, uh, causing problems with smoke and increasing temperatures, uh, well, really throughout the continent. Yeah, it's all Canada's fault. So, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, let's talk a little bit about how the heat can impact an individual. So, so what is heat exhaustion? What are the signs and symptoms? Well, heat exhaustion is a, the mild to moderate form of uh, hyperthermia, which is heat-related illness. And it is a heat-related emergency, and it has a number of signs and symptoms that really are really important to recognize so that you can nip it in the bud. And this would, these would be uh, a rapid pulse, uh, feeling hot, of course. Uh, these people are usually profusely sweating. They're flushed. Uh, and they start feeling actually physically ill. I mean, they may be nauseous, they may vomit, uh, they'll have a headache. And what's happening is their body core temperature is elevated, uh, can go up to 105 degrees. And so if you don't take action rapidly to cool off the victim, you may wind up going to what we call heat stroke. Now, that's a severe form. And in addition to all the possible signs and symptoms of heat exhaustion, well, you may wind up having shortness of breath, loss of consciousness, seizures, and you know, it can actually be fatal. So when I used to run outside, I don't do it anymore because I've got a wonky ankle. Running in summer was always a challenge. If it got any warmer than 24 degrees centigrade, I wouldn't run because I found I got too overheated. How can you tell like the difference between what would be normal sort of heat and heat exhaustion? Because it sounds like the symptoms are pretty close to just sort of like when you exercise out in the heat. Well, you find people wind up getting somewhat confused uh, and uh, probably don't feel like vomiting if you're, you know, having a, a hot a run in, in hot weather. But these these are situations where you'll find a lot of people have a lot of trouble functioning. If you have trouble functioning with uh, high heat exhaustion, well, you know, you're going to 
really have a lot of trouble uh, being able to function and, and monitor your personal heat in, in your body. I mean, your, your skin is going to be likely to be hot to the touch, but it probably is dry. It's an unusual thing. When, when you're out running in the heat, I mean, you're going to be sweating a lot, but if you wind up having things like heat stroke, you'll wind up having the skin actually be dry. When the, when the skin is overheated and dry, what happens is, is that your core body temperature rises above 105 degrees. And if it does that, well, the body's efforts to cool itself down by sweating, which is the natural temperature regulator, uh, fails. And so you, what you have is somebody who has a skin that's bright red, not because it's burned, or but because blood the vessels are dilating in a really desperate effort to dissipate heat. In the extreme, which I, I guess is termed a heat stroke, what are the ramifications? What can happen to you if you have a heat stroke? Well, what happens is uh, organs will begin to malfunction. When the body temperature rises excessively, there's damage that occurs that leaks toxins from your cells. It kills, kills the cells, and the cells uh, that, that die leak toxins, toxins that causes a major inflammation, and that's going to occur very quickly unless you act quickly. I mean, even in people that are physically fit, and, you know, and it's even worse in people that are, let's say, obese or uh, uh, very old or very young, um, and dehydrated, naturally dehydrated. We all walk around, I think, a little bit dehydrated. We never get enough fluids into our system. You're really supposed to, if you're a man, you're supposed to drink uh, 3.7 liters of fluid a day. And if you're a female, uh, 2.7. So who are, are there a class of people or classes of persons who are more susceptible to this? Yes, absolutely. Uh, people that have a poor level of physical fitness just in general, and they spend time out exerting themselves out in the heat, they're going to have it. Interestingly enough, people who are who live in normal, normally cold climates wind up having a higher chance of heat stroke if they wind up, let's say, if, if you lived in Canada and you moved to South Florida or you moved to Texas, uh, you probably would be at higher risk for getting heat stroke. Men actually are more at risk. Uh, People who use uh, alcohol uh, or, or even recreational drugs, even certain prescription drugs like water pills, things like that, and spend time in the heat, they're going to be at risk. People that are out wearing heavy or dark-colored clothing in the sun, these are people that are going to uh, have a higher chance of heat stroke. And, and if you are ill already, let's say you're running a fever from the flu or if you're having chronic problems with diabetes or heart problems, people with chronic illness, these folks have a tendency to also be uh, at risk, as well as people who have had a, a heat stroke or heat exhaustion before. Once you've had it, you have a tendency to have it again if you put yourself in the same situation. How, how common is this? It's very common. so common that there are more than 300,000 cases in the United States of illness requiring medical intervention. That's according to the American Academy of Family Physicians. And of these 300,000, 12% actually require admission to the hospital. So it's pretty serious and uh, very, very common because people just don't realize when they're getting in trouble. That's why it's so important to know the signs and symptoms of heat exhaustion and and, uh, heat stroke. How quickly can this happen? Like, I remember when I was running, you know, obviously I'm really exerting myself. If I'm running, I might feel sort of these symptoms maybe within 10, 15 minutes. Is, is that your experience with this? That's exactly. It's exactly 10 to 15 minutes that you can get yourself in trouble if you wind up 
being, especially if you are, are a little dehydrated, if you wind up exerting yourself in the in the heat. And also, actually, it doesn't take even that long. Probably just takes a few minutes of, let's say, a child that uh, is locked in a hot car to wind up getting uh, even a severe case of heat stroke. And, and we've had people, uh, just yesterday there was a child that uh, perished as a result of being uh, stuck in, in a hot car uh, in the midst of all this uh, heat that we're having now. Wow. Okay. So let's say you or somebody that you're with is suffering from heat exhaustion. What's the protocol? What do you do to help them? Well, the first thing you have to do is you've got to get them away from the heat. I mean, that just makes sense. And so get that person out of the sun. You want to remove their clothing. You want to drench them with cool water, even ice. Uh, some people, that used to be controversial. Yeah. Now. yeah but but this in, in this circumstance, this person is in real trouble. And whatever you can do to get that person in cold temperatures or cool temperatures, that's important. Now, if you if you can't immerse them in cold cool water, you want to wrap them in a cool, wet sheet. We actually call that the hyperthermia burrito <laughs> and and we place uh, and and there's a, of course there's circumstances where you don't have that either let's say you just you've been out hiking somebody uh, uh develops heat stroke and all you have are these little shake and break uh cold compresses if that's the case then you want to make sure you put moist cold compresses in the right place and the right places for Heat stroke would be the neck, the armpit, and the groin. And, and why there? Because major blood vessels run close to the skin in those areas. So cold packs there will more efficiently cool the body core. That's what you're trying to do, get that body core temperature down. Um, of course, uh, if that person is going into shock, you elevate the patient's legs about 12 inches above the level of their heart. That's a shock position. And you try to ventilate them as best you can to help with heat evaporation. So for, for this protocol, how long do you need to do these things for? Like, like when should you start seeing results that would bring them out of their, their peril state? Believe it or not, in some cases, it depends on, on the severity of it. With some cases within, uh, let's say, a half hour, uh, I think it would be reasonable to look for improvement. If you don't see improvement, of course, you would have... Uh, trouble if you were out, of course, in the wilderness, but uh, you probably should have called 911, of course, right at the very beginning when you actually diagnosed that heat stroke has occurred. Time for one last question, and that is, what would you recommend to avoid or prevent heat exhaustion? Well, you know, the Arizona the State Department of Health, which is no stranger to the heat, recommends that you drink two liters of uh, water a day, and if you're mostly indoors, that's only if you're mostly indoors, one to two additional liters for every hour of outdoor time. And make sure that you fill up your tank before you go out. That's very important. Also, avoid alcohol and caffeine, which are dehydrating. You want to wear lightweight, loose, light-colored clothing. Use a sun hat and even an umbrella, if possible, to deflect the sun's rays. Uh, don't eat big meals. That's, that's important. Uh, you want to avoid strenuous activity during the hottest part of the day. You know, always if you have to go out and do do work, do it very early or do it very late, and uh, take regular breaks if you have to exert yourself on warm days. That people just oftentimes just I'm in the heat. I want to get this thing done. Oftentimes you just have to get out of the heat for a period of time before you get yourself in trouble. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. Okay. Thanks, Jamie. That was Dr. Joseph Alden. We have to take a short break, but we'll be right back 
on The Tonic. The Big Carrot is a worker-owned natural food market that's been committed to local, organic, non-GMO, and sustainable food systems since 1983. They're a one-stop shop offering produce, grocery, bulk, body care, and holistic dispensary. The juice and smoothie bars and kitchens serve up hundreds of healthy dishes and drinks daily. Building community is at the core of their vision, which they deliver through education, outreach, and giving. They want everyone to share in the goodness they offer. Visit their website for more information at thebigcarrot.ca. If you're looking for premium natural products, choose New Roots Herbal. Proudly Canadian and family-owned for over 35 years. What really sets them apart is their dedication to quality. They source only the highest quality ingredients and test each one in a state-of-the-art ISO-accredited lab. You get the purity and potency you expect. Available exclusively at fine health food stores. To learn more or find a store near you, visit NewRootsHerbal.com. Welcome back to The Tonic, your prescription for a healthier and happier life. Here's your host and publisher of Tonic Magazine, Jamie Busson. Emil Rem is a creative nonfiction writer, an eccentric accountant, and an advocate for overcoming the odds. An Ismaili Muslim, originally from Tanzania, he has faced and overcome daunting circumstances all his life, from being raised in foster care in England to immigrating to Canada as a young adult. He's the author of Heart of New York and Chasing Aphrodite, and has more books in the works. His mission is sharing his stories to instill hope and inspire people to choose action, resilience, hope, and determination for overcoming even the tallest of odds undaunted. Emil, welcome to the show. How are you? Thank you very much, and thank you for having me on. Yeah, our pleasure. So I'm, I share sort of a kind of a background with you. I'm not from Tanzania, but I used to be a professional. I was a lawyer for 20 years. Uh, and I know you're a professional. You're an accountant as well. I don't know if you charge by the hour, but but lawyers do, which meant that every hour I would worry about whether or not I was doing enough billings, and it became this cycle where I was afraid of wasting time. But you're going to tell us why it's it's important to waste time. Why why is that? Well, one Sunday I woke up at five in the morning, and I wanted to spend the whole day doing my accounting so that I would be caught up on everything by the beginning of the week. My mother, my wife wakes up and she says, oh, hon, uh, can you take me to the farm? I just want to buy some muffins. That farm is an hour and a half away. And I keep looking at my watch saying, oh, all right, then. And then on the way, she wants to go for breakfast. On the way back, we come home. It's about two o'clock in the afternoon. My son wakes up and says, oh, dad, I forgot to go to the university. Can you please take me back? By the time I get home, it's four o'clock and the whole day is wasted. Now. I'm sitting in the farm on the veranda. It's a gorgeous day, lots of fruit growing. And I've got my wife has given me uh, a homemade uh, Saskatoon berry ice cream in one hand and uh, fresh lemonade in the other. And I'm relaxing and I'm feeling guilty. One, I'm feeling guilty that I'm sitting here and enjoying myself on a Sunday when I should, like you, build time and I'm not doing it. The next thing is I look at my wife who's so happy doing what she's doing. And I'm feeling guilty because I'm not thinking of her. I'm thinking of the work I've left behind. So that was the inspiration of writing about this. Do you think your wife kind of intuitively knew you needed a break? Like, did she Shanghai you there and, 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 and take you yeah. so that you wouldn't yeah. be sitting at the yeah. desk the whole day? Absolutely. And I, and I think that she does that quite often. But when you spend time with them, with my wife, for instance, 
we have an hour and a half drive to the farm. We talk about all kinds of things because we've got the time. What else we wouldn't do if we were sharing breakfast together, rushing, you know, having breakfast for 10 minutes and rushing off in our different ways. We wouldn't have that time together. And it's the same thing. Even though I got annoyed at my son for dragging me out to drive him uh, to college. But you know what? I had special time with him. Yeah. Without question. And, and that's the difference. And that's what you, you know, you, you, you keep changing things. You, it's like a coin. On the one side, yes, it's work. And on the other side, look at the opportunities you miss. Well, when you tell people, oh, I'm busy, I don't have the time. Let's talk more succinctly about why it's important to waste time. So, so what's, what's your number one reason? Well, the first one is that you connect with people, as I just mentioned. Yeah. Yep. I've, I've done that drive myself where I've, I've taken the time to drive my son back to university, and that's our opportunity. It's almost like when you're sitting at the dinner table. Like, if you ask somebody questions, they may not respond. But if you're just kind of spending time with them, sometimes these issues sort of come up organically and magically when you're, when you're, when you're idling. Absolutely. And, you know, when you, when you are talking with people, uh, your, your family in particular, everybody is stressed about something. It's not just you stressed about your work. You know, my son would be stressed about his exams, and my wife would be stressed about her family. So having that much time together, an hour and a half, instead of a five-minute soundbite, you suddenly are able to start opening up. And that's really important. What's and then the other thing is uh, live in the moment. Yep. Remember, I'm, I'm sitting there looking at the view. I'm eating my ice cream. I'm, eat, I'm, I'm drinking my lemonade. And you know what? That memory is going to last me for the rest of my life. And sitting there doing somebody's work on an hourly rate really isn't. It's just going to be one thing that you're just trying to get rid of and move on. Now, in addition to that, there's also invest in self-care. You know, constantly chasing deadlines without any break in between, you're going to just burn yourself out. Yeah. And you're going to create more stress for yourself. You know, when I read about what you were talking about, I mean, these are all sort of uh, decisions that I made organically when I stopped practicing law and started to get into health and wellness. But it's not a transition that everybody can make. I mean, I'm sure, you know, like you're an outlier, I'm an outlier for sort of making those types of changes. I, I guess the real key would be finding balance and, and, and you know, because yeah. we still have to earn a living, right? We still live in a capitalist society. We still have to bring home the bacon, as it were, right? Well, you know, I, I have this quote, and it's, it says, life is a prism. We shift the prism to reflect the colors that we wish to. And our lives are based on fear, the fear of not getting something done, of not achieving something. And the more we have that fear, the more we sit ourselves in a rut and follow a blinkered direction in a certain way. If you have that time to come out of that, even for an hour, a half an hour, now suddenly you're breaking that cycle. You then look at all the opportunities around you that you can take, that can make a difference to your life and reduce that stress. I know your next topic is, is all about creativity. I want to hear your perspective on it, and then I'll give you mine, okay? Go ahead. I should have been a second-hand salesman. I failed on my goal in England, and I wanted uh, to work in a, in a market, um, a farmer's market. My mom wouldn't allow me to, and she kind of forced me into accounting, whereas everything I'd done was creative. And I kept failing exams, kept failing, kept failing exams. And it wasn't until about 10 or 15 years ago, uh, a client needed some help, and I moved out of, uh, uh, in saving taxes. I created 
a, a tax structure for him. And then I suddenly found I didn't have to book hours because it was based on whatever monies we saved him. And as a result of that, I reduced so much of my working time in doing that. Now, at the age of 60, I decided I was going to write a book, mainly because my two boys, uh, my wife's Filipino, I'm from East Africa, both emigrated here. My kids had all been brought up in a very comfortable life in Canada. And the younger one kept asking me, where did we come from? What was our background? And so the stories began as that. But as we continued with those stories, they weren't just the life history. They became parables, short stories that were parables. And those parables were things like um, teaching life lessons to the kids, not just a matter of telling them where I came from. And I found that the more I wrote, the more creative I became. For me, how should I put this? It's the muses. Do you know what I mean? The muses, yes. the muses do not come to me if I'm preparing for this show. And they don't come to me when I'm recording the show. They come to me in the idle moments, right? My ideas for segments. Absolutely. My, my ideas for events. My ideas for my magazine. They come to me... Uh, tangentially almost, do you know what I mean? They almost yeah. float, they float into your brain. And without the downtime, there's just no way that your brain can be receptive to that. Now I'm a creative by living now. And I'm like you, I went into a profession, whereas I should have been a creative from day one. There's just no question of that because that's where I derive my joy, whether it's cooking or, or landscaping my backyard or starting a magazine or an event. I shouldn't have been a lawyer. I was a good lawyer, but I shouldn't have been a lawyer. But I think for everybody, we need that creative outlet. I, I just don't think people are fulfilled with their careers or in their retirement. You need, I, I need to create. I agree with you. You know, the two things I always tell my kids is go out and fail. And the second thing is go out and be bored. It's good for you. And they look at me like I'm crazy. Let's talk about the last reason for wasting time. What is it? That was gaining perspective, which is really part of that as well. Yeah. Like you were saying, you can't get perspective if you're in a horse race every minute of the day where you, 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 you're trying to get away from the phone because you've got to get certain work done. Your mind is focused on that. It's when you get away from that, when your mind is somewhere completely different, looking at, at the view as I had of the farm, that your subconscious begins to work and comes up with creative ideas. And the reason why most people say, oh, well, we can't do what you do. You're just lucky to have got that is because they've never taken that time. They, they have really forced themselves into a particular prison or environment. They keep telling themselves there's no way out of it or there's no change in what we've got. And, and then they, they force themselves into that. So, yes, having time away from work gives you that, that perspective. And you don't change things completely. You change them bit by bit by bit. And eventually the whole situation turns around. Everything you do in life should be a stepping stone. And people don't see it that way. It's almost like they want security. They want to do the same thing over and over again and complain about it. And yet they, they find that secure, their fear of any changes. And look at what you did with your life. I hear you. I'm the poster boy. Thank you so much for coming on the show today and sharing. Well, you're more than welcome. And thank you for having me on. Thanks to all my wonderful guests, Dr. Gordon Chang, Shauna Lindzen, Dr. Joseph Alton, and Emil Rem. And thank you all for listening to The Tonic. You can listen or download this episode as a podcast with full show notes, contact information for our guests, and links at thetonic.ca. To find out more about the show, you can always follow us at It's The Tonic on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. 
For great articles by amazing health and wellness writers, be sure to pick up your copy of The Tonic Magazine. The July-August issue is now available free on racks at over 100 locations across the GTA and delivered with the Globe and Mail to home subscribers in Toronto, west of Victoria Park. Or you can visit our website, thetonic.ca. If you're interested in providing feedback or suggesting topics for the show, you can always email me at jamie at thetonic.ca. On our next show, we'll discuss the health and wellness issues that are important to you. Until then, this is Jamie Busson wishing you a healthy and happy week. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.